This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that puts the new in pneumonia. I'm Scott Phillips, and with me as always is Anir Ban Mahanti. G'day, Doc. Good day, Captain. How are you? Mate, well, I'm a little bit better now, I have to say. I am bitterly, bitterly disappointed that we missed our first ever podcast last week. We've had a very, very good track record. We haven't missed a single podcast. Unfortunately, last Wednesday, I was laid a little bit low by a case of pneumonia. And unfortunately, when we should have been recording, I was in hospital getting some very, very high-strength antibiotics. So, unfortunately, Phil, I do apologize personally. We did try different ways of getting the podcast done. It just wasn't possible. The good news, if you like our podcast, the bad news if you don't, is that I'm back in almost full health. We are recording this one from my place instead of the usual Triple M studios. So, if it sounds a little bit different, that's exactly why. But we are back in full harness. And we've got a couple of weeks worth of podcast to get through, mate. So we won't go exactly double, but we'll try and cover a bit of uh, a bit of news, a bit of goings on, a bit of what's happening on the market. It's been a rough three odd weeks since we last recorded a podcast, so we've got a little bit to cover, I think. It's been it's been a bit rough. It's been a bit rough. Uh, it's been a bit rough. It's been a bit of a red, and there's been uh, you know the return of volatility. The return exactly. It's so back. it's all your fault, Captain. <laughs> because you know you went away. Never, uh, never and, 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 and then you the just, and then you just, you know, roil the markets exactly. from far away. Exactly, exactly. All right, so we are going to talk about volatility, as you mentioned. We're going to talk about wax stocks. I'll keep you in suspense on that one. We're going to talk about coals. It's gone its own way now, no longer part of the West Farmers Empire. Uh, also, oh man, the Royal Commission. Mm. Just it's the gift that keeps on. Maybe not. Maybe taking is probably right. Um, the headline writers love it. The royal commissioner is looking fantastic. The banks less so. We'll also talk about speaking of things being rejected. The reject shop. It was once a market darling, mm. then a market. What's the opposite of darling? It was. It was hated by most people. Maybe there's another lease of life left. And of course, because it's been a couple of weeks, we'll dig into the full mailbag. Let's get on. All right, mate. Let's get started. Volatility. So, firstly. Mate, it's been a very, well, it, it, tough three weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, happily for me, for eight or ten of those days, I was out of the country, out of mobile range. So <laughs> it was blessed relief. I didn't have to keep an eye on it. Although I did when I had a, a couple of bits of mobile reception on a couple of mountains in Papua New Guinea. Uh, for those who didn't, uh, who didn't who do it, been listening to this for a while, I did trick Kokoda. had a great time. Uh, but there's a lot of mobile reception on the Kokoda Trail. So uh, I did get a chance to just have a, have a bit of a time out. But I did check the market occasionally when I did get a little bit of reception. Uh, mate, it's been a tough three weeks. What is going on? What did I miss? Well, well, first thing I'll say that, you know, if you're out of reception, that's sometimes a very good thing. It's nice. It's nice. Because, because that means you don't have to deal with it. It wasn't stressful. It's, it's, it's you nice. know, and, and this is the funny thing about investing, right? You invest, uh, you know, your money has, let's say, grown, and yep. then it falls yep. and it hurts, right? And it doesn't matter whether it was, you know, it was up 50% and is now only down 10%, but yeah. it does hurt. Doesn't right? it? So, yeah. So, you are lucky. That is a strange human reaction too, mate. I, I'm, never, I'm not surprised by it anymore, but I, I have to say people on... on on Twitter in particular, who've been saying, oh, see, the market's crashed. I told you it was going to. Or, you know, the those who enjoy a bit of schadenfreude, a bit of enjoying other people's misery. Oh, the property prices are plummeting and share prices are plummeting. And you kind of think, well, yeah, they're plummeting back to kind of February levels. Not, you know, after, after yeah. growing at 20, 30, 40, 50%, yeah. um, it, it's hardly on any reasonable basis. Yeah. Hardly any significant fall. But as you say, it really does hurt because we kind of bank those gains mm-hmm. and we don't like seeing them go away. Yeah, mentally, you've banked the gains. So, I mean, it's... Uh, it's been it's been I guess the longest stretch in a while. Where in a while right. basically means maybe maybe a year or so since the Donald uh, Trump. Well, there was yeah, a, there was the a Trump election. there was a big kind of the old taper tantrum in February.
February. Yeah. Before that, it was pretty much Trump's pretty, election was the last. Yeah, big and, bit and of then it, you know, for Trump's election, things were, you know, it looked like it's going down, and mm-hmm. then it went up, and then, you know, yeah. Uh, but but if you look at all ordinaries, then uh, as a barometer for the mm-hmm. market, uh, the ASX, it's. Getting close to being down ten percent uh, right, right. from the highs, you know the favorite word of yours. Don't, you don't do like. it! Don't do it! I'll, don't say you know, it. Okay, I'll stop. Well, I'll still say it. Correction. Oh, Maybe around the corner. Um, Nasdaq, which is the um, the U.S. Uh, one hundred biggest non-financial companies. Yes. Tech companies. Tech companies. Yep. Well, I mean, then essentially it's not necessarily tech because, you know, there's Pepsi in that list. Right, right. Right. So it's 100 largest companies on NASDAQ okay. minus tech. Okay, fair enough. Um, minus financials. Yeah, minus minus. Yeah, yeah. My, yeah. what am I saying? <laughs> it's it's all it's all the volatility's fault. It's, it's, exactly. it's, yeah, it's the red in Fraud the port- it's the red, red in the portfolio. So <laughs> yeah, I'm with the re, uh, with the listeners here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so that is down was down at least yesterday, right? About thirteen percent or day before. Oof. That's quite a bit. Not in a day since when? Well, it's it's like the high, which was maybe. Okay. You know, a couple of months back. Now, mate, I find this bizarre, right? We, we'll try and talk about Australian stocks more than more than others. But I, I looked the other day. I think I said to you yesterday, the day before, Amazon was down twenty five percent, Google about twenty percent on their fifty two week highs, and that's only maybe three months ago. Yeah, it, it it staggers my mind that companies of that size and caliber can have been re-rated so significantly downwards when nothing's changed about Google's business, nothing's changed about Amazon's business. Either the prices were way too high, or yep. investors are panicking now, or maybe a bit of both. But yeah. that is an extraordinary. These are these are the biggest, or two of the three biggest companies, or three mm. of the four, two of the four biggest companies in the world, falling twenty and twenty five percent. That is phenomenal. That is phenomenal. And Apple, the biggest company, that's down. Is it really? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's down about what twenty percent. But even Berkshire was down two and a half percent the other yeah, day. Yeah, why was Berkshire bizarre. down? <laughs> it was bizarre. So I mean, you know, you, you're right. In, in in some cases, it could be that they, you know, people. Now think they were overvalued and therefore yeah. they're you know, coming down. Other people are just you know running for the hills. Run, 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 run. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, uh, so uh, let's you know talking about Australian. Let's let's get back to talking about Australian stocks. So then, the uh, wax. So wax. We, we had the fangs in the US. And the fangs are Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and Google. Yeah. We've got wax in Australia, which I think is people trying to lead a bit too hard. <laughs> and nevertheless, tell me what wax is and what so, should we So, wax is, you know, uh, so fang, you know, some people go fang with the double A, some people go fang with the single A. Right. I'm happy with the single A. It's okay. okay. It's okay with me. Uh, the wax is a wax with a double A in the middle. Oh, God, okay. Yeah. Uh, and the W stands for Wise Tech. Uh, one of the A's stands for Altium. The mm-hmm. other A stands for Appen. Right. And the X stands for zero. So these are, you know, four well-known tech companies. Not uh, quite Australia's answer to the FANG stocks, but about as close as we get. This right? is as close. As we, these have done really well okay. over the last few years. Yep. And, you know, even these have, you know, they've been paired. They've, they've been hit hard. Yeah, yeah. What is interesting, I'll give an interesting example. So Appen, for example, had an earnings upgrade. It was a pretty decent upgrade. Mm, mm. So the shares went up, but then, you know, people are forgetting about the upgrade and, you know, it's down mm. down to being again, you know, down, mm. you know, significantly. So, yeah, I think people, uh, you know, when volatility hits like this, you know, a lot of people just sell. So I he, he just I have a view on this, but I'll, I'll pretend I don't for the sake of the listeners. Mm. There's two ways to look at this, right? Mm. You look at this and say, the market's got freaked out. These are good quality companies that the market's kind of just, you know, Ignoring because in its panic, everyone mm. runs for the exits like a lemming. Mm. The other way is for those of us who are a little bit, you know, been around a little while, I've got a couple of gray hairs. Mm. 
the the tech the dot com crash isn't that long ago. Dot dot bomb, if you like. Mm. And at that point, you know, people were saying in early nineteen ninety nine, late ninety nine nine even, these are great new business models, eyeballs, all that kind of great mm. stuff. The Nasdaq still hasn't recovered those levels. Mm-hmm. Uh, to convince me where. Convince me this is the market overreacting on the downside versus the fact we may have spent the last 10 years over, over-exaggerating the future of these sorts of companies. Right. So, I mean, w- one simple thing is that in the dot-com era, a lot of those companies, the dot-com darlings, mm. they had just hopes and dreams, right. uh, you know, prospects of eyeballs. All about and, the eyeballs. Too. And beautiful eyeballs and eventually, maybe, someday, potentially, some money. <laughs> So these right. companies, many of these companies did not have revenue, yeah, which is which is fantastic. And some companies without revenue had billions and billions and billions of dollars, Man. tens of billions of dollars of valuation. Okay, now take Wax for example. All of these companies actually yeah. have earnings. Yes, and you know, so it's not pretty just, high quality earnings. Still, I want to say high quality. I mean, I mean, Zero has just started. You know, mm. showing operating profits, but for the rest, they you know they've got earnings. Some even pay dividends. You know, yeah, they, right, they right. have the capability of actually paying dividends. So this is not the same thing as the same hopes and dreams. Now that does not say that none of you know you could always come back and say, oh, these are overvalued and therefore they should be you know right, right. Uh, cut down to size and things like that. And that you can make that argument for fangs and anything else, but yep. it is nowhere close to being the dot com. Right. Yeah, I mean, this, you know, these are companies so, doing so real things. Valued, but they're not, they're not, they're, they're much, much higher quality on average than those who drove the dot-com yeah. craze. Yeah, I mean, on the, in the dot-com days, there were days when, you know, the share price went up by hundreds of dollars in one day. Yeah. I mean, those yeah. were the days. So, are you, buying, are you buying tech stocks or are you selling tech stocks, mate? What's going on? Well, I have been, you know, buying a little bit. Okay. Um, through and through, I've, you know, uh, every time I buy, it goes down. Every, <laughs> so, it's not really helping. <laughs> but, so, for the rest uh, of us, if we're waiting, we're, when do you stop buying, then we'll start buying. That maybe that's it? what it is when you know All he right. stops buying yeah but i you know i did buy a few things here and there and uh yeah i mean it still hurts because mm-hmm. you know if mm-hmm. most of your money is in the market then it hurts because it's down uh but yeah i've been buying i think you know, to me it looks like it's a buying opportunity yeah I, I i tend to agree mate i think there's there's been a lot of a lot of good stuff thrown out with the dross i think there's the market's overreacting a little bit on the downside certainly in the u.s i own both amazon and uh, and google or alphabet i must confess i know they've been looking more and more attractive over time mm-hmm. um the nasdaq etf uh, on the asx also looks pretty attractive so plenty plenty of ideas again who knows what's gonna happen in the short term long term these are high quality businesses with high quality yep. earnings uh, and even if valuation does jump around a little bit, hard to hard to believe on on average. If you take the Amazons, the the Apples, the Facebooks, the um, Googles, add all those together, it's kind of hard to believe this business is what we're worth more in the future, yeah, right? Yeah, definitely. And I mean, if you take a five year view, you know, maybe maybe there's more downside. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, day after, next week, but you know. We, we can't know that. But, you know, if you think five years, it's very hard to believe that, you know, those businesses and many of the, our own tech stocks, you know, yeah. it's hard to believe that they are not going to be doing well. And bring it back home to, to your point about our tech stocks. Mm. You know, we, we know we, the, old, the old line was always that if America sneezes, Australia catches the mm. cold. And it does really seem to me that's the case. I remember back mm. in, I want to say it was September, maybe even August, when I think uh, both Netflix and Facebook took a bit of a tumble. The Australian tech sector really got hit yeah. hard. And it does seem like we get our confidence, our, yeah. our Dutch courage, if you like, from yeah. what's happening in the US. And when those when those markets are falling, yeah. our tech stocks really do struggle to get any any, tech, any yeah. context at all. It, it, yeah, like I mean, you know, I've read things like you know, fund managers are rotating out of tech stocks and getting into defensive stocks and things yeah, like that. Allegedly. And all those sort of things happen. We'll see. Know, we'll see. Real money advice from real people, not just a couple of dicks with a Porsche. Get more at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. 
All right, let's move on from that, mate. From, I don't know about the sublime to the ridiculous. Maybe it's the exciting to the boring. Mm. Um, <laughs> this, week, this week marks something of a oh, yet another um, turn in the Coles corporate story. Mm. So Coles once was, the, was Coles, then it was Coles Meyer, mm. then it was bought out by West Farmers. Mm-hmm. Now it's back on the boards. ASX COL. Coles, the supermarket group, is no longer part of West Farmers. The shareholders of West Farmers now own 85% of Coles. Mm-hmm. West Farmers owns the other 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 15%. Right. The shares are on the market. This is something of a... Uh, if we go back to when West Farmers bought Coles, I don't know that they've necessarily covered themselves in glory with the purchase. The sales, it was a demerger, so it's mm. reasonable. But uh, it, it feels to me a little bit like a lost decade. Coles never really shut the lights out. They did a really good job fixing the business mm. from how badly it was run before. But they don't seem to have been able to deliver the sort of growth mm. or the sort of returns that maybe shells were waiting for. Right. That being said, West Farm is no longer settled with the Coles business. They've said a lot that this is a very, very capital intensive business. Their returns on equity at Coles were far, far, far lower than the rest of the West Farmers group. Hmm. What do you make of the businesses now separate? Do you have a view, kind of pros and cons? How are you thinking about West Farmers and Coles as separate companies? So, so I think the point you make about, you know, the, the return on capital, that uh, is going to make a difference for West Farmers. Mm-hmm. So if you my view on Coles, and the same I would say for for Woolies or Woolworths, is both of these businesses are fairly mature. Yeah, I mean they are pretty mature. So they're totally f- mature. Yeah, right. <laughs> totally mature. Uh, I mean, unless we can somehow miraculously produce another hundred million people, and you know, have hundreds of new cities, I mm-hmm. mean, where are these guys going to grow? Right. So they're going to grow, like you know, they can grow at a little bit, you know, population growth type of thing. Yeah. But, uh, so I mean. Plus, whatever share they steal from each other, right? Yeah, whatever they, you know, or from others like you know Aldi and, sure, and sure. things like that, right? Sure. Um, so it really dep- I mean, these are good businesses, I guess, if you can buy them at the right price, and mm. then you can sort of take advantage of the dividends that they're going to pay, and they're mm. going to be potentially fully franked. Mm. So it's good for for an income stream if purchased purchased at the right price. But mm. if you're a growth investor looking to sort of grow your money over time, yep. you know. Uh, I just stay away from them. Not a lot of growth in Coles, is there? Let's be honest. Yeah, that's just, just, I mean, and, and yeah. the same with uh, with yeah. Woolies. You know, they're going to steal a little bit here. They're going to, you know, reduce. It, it might be good actually for uh, consumers overall. Yeah. Now that you know, Coles is going to stand on its own. Maybe they're going to compete even harder. Mm. That's going to maybe make prices better for consumers. Consumers are going to win. I think that's a good point. I think um, I've got a grocery background way back many years ago. And I think to your point, that that's the real question is how hard do these guys fight? In yeah. any duopoly, you can either kill yourselves and kill each other, um, which is what the airlines did for many, mm. many years, or you can take the foot off the throttle a little bit and say, hey, if we don't go too aggressively on prices, then both of us can make a bit of money. And so it'd be interesting to see who's most desperate and when. Yeah. As you say, you know, grocery can only grow at effectively population growth. Um, at the moment, they're not even getting that because yeah. the prices have been deflating. In fact, yeah. they've been contributing to deflation or at least lack of inflation in the, yeah. in the economy for probably five or six years, I think, as they've fought mm-hmm. this price war, which has been great for consumers, but but not great for, for shareholders. I completely agree, mate. I think I, I – so West Farmers is a buy for us at Share Advisor. It's also a buy at Everlasting Income. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love West Farmers, the business. I think what I like about West Farmers versus Woolworths, even even back when it was had Coles as part of the business, was West Farmers was always an investment conglomerate that happened to own a retailer. Mm-hmm. Woolworths is, by definition, entirely a retail business. Mm-hmm. And so West Farmers had the luxury of saying, let's spin off Coles, but let's keep Office Works and let's keep – Kmart, let's mm. keep Bunnings. Mm. So it's keeping the businesses it wants to keep. It's getting rid of the ones it doesn't want anymore. Yeah. Um, so to my mind, I think, as it turns out, West Farmers is a stronger business, a better quality business without Coles because of that higher return on equity than with it. 
Right. So maybe there's a re-rating, as they would say. Maybe the multiple will go up. I, don't get me started on demergers. It, it drives me bananas. The, the businesses together should be exactly the same value as the businesses separately. But then, then why, why, no why, why do you merge, right? I mean, so that they, must, they must be looking for something, some oh, sort no, of arbitrage. I think, I think right? the businesses left over is a, is a better quality business, but the two together, if you're a, if you're a West Farmer mm-hmm. shareholder before the demerger, the, the businesses you, you own now are the same as the businesses same. you own yes. when they're one yes. company, right? I, yeah. The fact that the two together trade for a higher or lower price post-demerger mm. is just the, is absolute evidence of the market's inefficiency. It's madness, mm. but it happens, and mm. so that's the reality. Um, but I, 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 don't, I think just because one's a better business than the other right. doesn't mean they should be worth different prices. It's just a matter of how much value you attribute to each of those two businesses should be determined by the value mm. you see rather than just some arbitrary allocation of, of right. capital. Motley Fool Money. For more, go to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Mate, oh man, I'll talk about from the sublime to the ridiculous. Let's mm. definitely get to the ridiculous now. Mm. Um, this so, one's brought to us by, by Rowena Orr, uh, Council Assisting, mm. uh, and Kenneth Hayne, the Royal Commissioner, mm. for this bloody Financial Services Royal Commission. Mm. It, it is just... It's a never-ending process, it seems. Again, mate, I, I, I love to call it the gift that keeps on giving, but it just keeps on taking. The, the, the line this week was from Commonwealth Bank CEO Matt Common, who, when he was head of retail banking of the CBA, mm. alleges that Ian Narev, the then CEO, told him to, and I quote, temper your sense of mm. justice. Matt Common wanted to stop selling a product he thought was crap, mm. uh, allegedly according mm. to the, the evidence he's given to the Royal Commission. Uh, he was told that apparently we're told that his boss mm. said to him, "Dude, effectively pull your head in. We can make money selling this mm. thing. Stop trying to be nice to people. How about you just make some money anyway?" Mm. Uh, it's 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 madness. Well, it, it just it, it, I, I'm 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 trying to find the right way to describe this because this is another one, yet another mm. in a, in a trail of just. Absolute awful behaviour mm. conduct by these banks. If this had been if this had been released in isolation, there would have been hell to pay. Mm. The, the reality is, we're all a bit punch drunk, as I've said before in this podcast, because people are just we're kind of over it, right? There's been so much bad news from so many different quarters: AMP, CBA, mm-hmm. ANZ, financial planners. Uh, pick your pick your mm. um, pick it, your area. Yep. Everybody seems to have been doing the wrong thing to some degree or another. What are we supposed to think of a of a bank CEO who says, "Hey, stop worrying about the poor people we're selling this stuff to; just go and make some money"? So I'll say a couple of things here. One is, you know, so I don't want to say one person is lying. It mm. could also be that you know, these these things are are interesting, right? You have an ex CEO, yep, um, and therefore, as the the current administration or yep. current you know managers could say, well, the ex CEO said something we yeah. didn't say. <laughs> It's right. all his fault, right? It's uh, therefore somebody else's fault. Throw the old guy uh, under the bus. You know, I would say something. It's it is a very cultural thing because yeah. if the bank has a culture of of making money at all costs, yeah. then that culture is not just at the top. It it, mm, it mm. really percolates downstream. Mm. If enough number of people said no, we shouldn't do it. I guess the previous CEO told, well, I guess we can't do it. People don't mm. want to do it, right? Mm, that's mm. that's one. Uh, I think it's it sometimes it's very convenient to essentially throw the the guy who's not there under the bus, right? I mean, so so I'm mindful of that. At the same time, I could totally see this happening mm-hmm. <laughs> at the bank. Uh, it's as you said, appalling. Um, mm-hmm. You know, such things shouldn't happen, but you know, they happen as we have seen plenty of plenty of examples. Um, yeah, the the other news I read was that you know Westpac, for example, had uh, given financial advice, mm-hmm. and they don't even have notes as to. Uh, to to say what sort of advice was given, apparently for fifty percent of those things, they don't even have any documentation. Man. So that's just madness, right? And you don't even know if the advice was actually legit. 
And this, we should remember, this is a Royal Commission that many in politics and business said wasn't necessary, right? It was supposed to be all okay, yeah. nothing to see here, everyone move along. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I actually, I, I, I wrote, thankfully I, I recovered before the Royal Commission. I wrote a while back that I didn't think it was worth doing because, and ironically my point was that unless you're going to have an com- inquiry into the cultures of these banks, mm. that's simply examining the behaviour and saying that was all wrong, now get on with it. Unless you fundamentally change, and you made the point about the culture, um, unless you change that, nothing mm. else changes. And I, I came to review before the Royal Commission section, I think we do need it, and here's why. Mm. But it needed to be root and branch, culture-based. W- you know, what, is, what are the incentives here? Why are they going about doing it this way? Mm. What, is, what has happened to the old banks of the 60s, 70s, 80s, where the local bank manager was the pillar of the community? He knew you, he knew your business, mm. he knew your family. Um, that sense of a, a bank being a... Not exactly a government institution, but there's kind of this weird kind of quasi, um, literally a pillar of the community without, mm. without wanting to sound too kind of rose-colored glasses about it. You know, it was there was that sense of kind of making almost greasing the wheels of, of local business mm. and home homeowners and that kind of stuff to the point where then it just simply became a matter of okay, how do we how do we close branches, save costs, all that kind of mm. stuff. Banks are a little bit too too big for their own britches, I think, a little bit too far ahead of where they should have been, mm. um, and that seems to have brought them down. We await the Commissioner's report, mate. I, for one, hope it is absolutely scathing, and I hope both the government and opposition, whoever is in power when the, when the uh, details are released, I hopefully, hopefully they take a very, very, very severe look at it and do what needs to be done. What if it just turns out to be a series of questions like it was for the interim report? Well, that's the fear, right? That's the fear. The fear is that either, I don't think the Commissioner will do it, but the fear is the government says, yep, they're all right. Mm. Let's acknowledge that. Let's accept all the recommendations and move on. Mm. You know, if there's no fundamental change here, uh, to the culture and the way that yeah. remuneration is set, the way that expectations are set around banking. I think that's that's a big problem. So uh, we wait with bated breath. We will certainly be loud and long in our criticism if they don't go far enough. Motley Fool Money. Financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Speaking of far enough, speaking of being rejected, how's <laughs> rejected. that for a segue, mate? Almost rejected. Almost rejected. Almost. Not quite rejected. <laughs> the reject shop. <laughs> the little $2 shop on, on, on many a street corner, mm. many a shopping mall down the end somewhere down the back where you can get your, your things for your kids' parties or, or a cheap tube of toothpaste. Mm. Um, it was a high It was a $15 stock at one point. And then got down to maybe three or four bucks, I want to say, when, you know... I was going to say, that, is it a $2 stock now? Oh, probably is now. These so then you said $2. I thought it was almost like, you know, segue that it's a $2 stock. That's right. Yeah, $2 <laughs> shop, $2 stock, exactly. $2.76 there is we at go, the moment. Almost so $2. And, yeah, and, and yeah. that's after... After what? After the... A, a opportunistic buyout, as some newspapers have quoted, right. has come through. So November 9 this month, $2.02 the shares were. Mm-hmm. They're now up a good 35-odd percent among friends, yeah. which is a pretty nice return in the, space of, in the space of two weeks. Um, there's a, not, there's a buyout nice, happening, isn't it? Not nice if you, uh, if you think about it. One year ago, it was like $9 or something. Tell me about it. So, so the the, uh, the the fifty two week high is eight dollars thirty five. The five year high seventeen dollars and forty eight oh, cents. Oh, talk about talk about retail disaster. So is this an opportunistic buy mate, or is this a, a buy seeing a value trap and, Look, and maybe getting losing mean, their money? The thing with you know people taking a company private is they're going to do they're going to be able to maybe do things to it which. Um, is not likely to happen in in the public market. Maybe right. they're going to, you know, they're going to take it. You know, they're going to strip costs as hard as they can. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe take on some debt, pretty it up, 
launch it back to market. Surely not, I mean, mate. Surely not. Yeah, I mean, that, that, you know, that sort of thing has happened before. Who would do that? Come on. Oh, there's some examples, uh, some Dick Smith type of examples we can uh-huh. talk of. Yes, so, yes. So, I mean, that could be a story here. I mean, if, as the business currently stands, yep. it is hard to see value there. Yep. Like, I mean, it is hard to see. Again, it's like, you know, it's a pretty mature business. Yeah. Yep. It's well, struggling. It's a decent competition now, right? Yeah, it's like a decent competition. It's fighting, struggling. Yeah, it's fighting Kmart with cheap prices. Yeah. Big W trying to respond to Kmart. Yeah. Layer on that, catch of the day, Kogan, Kogan Amazon, Amazon, plenty of opportunity. Uh, yeah. the, the bargain hunter used to go to the $2 shop and see what they could find. Yeah. Now the bargain hunter can go to Kmart or Big W. They can yeah. jump online. Yeah. There's plenty of places to go yeah, and get a bargain, Or go right? to the dollar store, Dollar King, or whatever right, it is. Right. Rich, you know? So, I mean... Yeah, it's hard to see how there's value. I mean, there might be, you know, opportunistic pricing, buy it, and then, you know, pretty up the balance sheet. Or not pretty up the balance sheet, but load it up with debt. So here's the thing, mate. So based on the last year's sales, though, it did did $800 million worth of sales last year. Mm. It did $16 million worth of profit. Mm. It's only selling for 80 million bucks. Now, that's kind of five times last year's sales, or profit, sorry. It's a tenth of last year's sales. Mm. On one hand... You probably need to do a whole lot to this business to fix it. The question is, can it be done? That's, it's that's yeah. I mean, it's somebody with a good operation. I mean, what you're basically saying is that it's a business that's got a is a fixed cost base, mm-hmm. or a largest relatively, cost base, yeah, right. relatively yep. speaking. Yep. And therefore, Rent if you stuff. can, if you can somehow create some efficiency, get get the right products in, you might be actually able to, um, you know. Get that sixteen million up to even like thirty million. Right, right. Doesn't take much. It doesn't. You know, you don't need significant increase in sales to actually achieve that. I mean, if I was a private equity, even even without a whole lot of debt and everything else, if I can buy something for eighty million dollars and get thirty million bucks a year from it, that'd be a pretty good deal. And take that. That's a pretty good deal. Yeah, that's a pretty good deal. But. Well, if you can get thirty million, the multiple would also increase on that thing, in right? Theory, so, I in mean, theory. in theory. So, of course, uh, that's if they can do it. If they can do and it, and the current management hasn't exactly covered itself in glory, nor has the past management, by the way. Yeah. This is, I mean, the, the company's done about the same sales oh, up a little bit. Call, call it five years straight, went from seven hundred eleven million to eight hundred million. Mm. That's not exactly covering itself in, in, in glory. Profit went from fourteen and a half to sixteen and a half million over mm. the same time frame. It's it's not the easiest business to be in. Here's a question for you: Would you rather be the CEO of Maya or the Reject Shop? Gosh, can I be of neither? No, <laughs> I'm going to hold you. Make make a call. Okay, I'll take Maya. You know why? Oh, okay, tell me. Um, don't. Maybe I'm, I'm thinking. Uh, maybe I'm incorrect here. But doesn't Maya actually own some prime property? No, not anymore. Not anymore. Sold it all off in the float. Do, DJs did. Maya doesn't own any property. Oh. I, oh, well, I, I should Whoa. I should caveat that. I don't believe so. I think it's all leased. Well, both leased. of them look like pretty much a basket case to me. <laughs> so, I don't know. I might pick Myers over Cole, uh, uh, over um, Reject Shop. Reject Shop. Largely because it seems like, you know, they've got bigger stores. Maybe there's more opportunity of doing things. Mm-hmm. You know, you could, you ca- here you're catering to the cheap and there's a lot of competition in the cheap. And yep. then people with the scale tend to win the cheap yeah. right whereas in the Myers and you're, you're looking at more expensive more, more relatively speaking yeah. more expensive yeah. things and therefore you know people who are looking for some branded items and you mm. can maybe do things there those are the people who are willing to pay up for things maybe there's an opportunity there so between the two I'll call the evil I'll, I'll pick the, the lesser evil to me looks like Meyer. Which That's one is? Fair. Which one would be your pick? No, I, I'd go Meyer as well, mate. I think. Um, I, I think. I think. Rejic shop. Well, they're both. They're both structurally challenged. Yeah. And frankly, they're both kind of. Um, the, the hostile. Not neither is survival's guaranteed. Yeah. I think I'd rather be Meyer because I think that to your point, there is so much cutthroat competition that deep discount into the market. Yeah. I think Meyer. 
has a decent chance of shrinking itself to, if not greatness, to something. Mm. Maya has way too many stores. Um, it, it has way too much floor space, way too many brands. Mm. But I think you can concentrate Maya down to something. I, I wouldn't want to run either, quite frankly. I, as you say, I, mm. I don't think I have the skill set for either necessarily. Mm. Uh, but I, if I forced to bet on which one's more likely to survive and thrive, I think Maya, I, I don't really like either of them. I'm not buying either shares. Mm. Um, but I think Maya is the is the less likely of the two to go broke. Put it that way. Right. Okay. So none of them are bad recommendations. No, sir. We won't be doing that anytime (laughs) soon. Value stocks. Market. Stock market. Index. Share market. This is Motley Fool Money. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. All right, mate. Let's move on to our mailbag, and I have to start with um, with a bit of a cheeky a cheeky interaction on Twitter uh, that we had during the week. We had Darren Pryor, who Darren, you've you've uh, missed us before, and thank you. Uh, Darren says, "I missed your weekly dose of Motley Fool money last week. First time ever. What happened?" Mm. Now I have explained that, uh, and I didn't uh, at the time on, on November nineteen when I responded to that. I was still in hospital, so I just said, "I oh, know, first time ever. Best planning in the world, but unexpected hitch caught us blind, mm. which uh, in hindsight was my pneumonia." Uh, and then we had a response from View from the Bridge who is at AWMAU, Mm. who says, I was trawling Twitter to see if I could determine the reasons for the missing podcast. Speculation loomed. Hostile taker of Motley Fool by Bruce Jackson. Malaria from PNG. Alien abduction. Looking forward to tuning on a Friday. And uh, Darren said, all very likely scenarios. I, for one, will be listening very carefully to Scott's voice to see if it's the real thing and not some alien imposter. So, Doc, you can you can vouch for me or not. I, I, I think I'm the real thing. Well, 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 maybe you are the robot. Who knows? You it's know, entirely I, possible. Yeah, it's entirely possible. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a big fan of alien takeovers. So, <laughs> so, so, Mate, so it's totally fine with me, alien takeovers. Maybe we can pretend I was AI enhanced, but no one's silly enough to think I'm actually smarter than I was last week or the week before. So we might, we might struggle with thinking aliens actually improved us. Maybe the meds have done something to you. you. Know, well, maybe. Who knows? You know, that could help. Yeah, that could well, help. Maybe they've done something. But, uh, gents, thank you for your for your concern. Uh, I I, th- I fear you probably missed the podcast more than me personally. But uh, again, we apologise. Uh, we we desperately tried to get it working. We tried a couple of different ways. I was just too crook to, to make it happen. And all the beeping and, and pinging in the hospital wasn't conducive to recording a <coughs> podcast from the from the hospital bed. Uh, so I'll have to ask your uh, your forbearance for us that one. And, and hopefully we've made it up to you this podcast, mate. So uh, let's get back to not being about me for a second. Let's talk about other people. Um, we had a, a, a message from Peter Kerr on Twitter. Mm-hmm. He says, hi, guys. Love the podcasts. Can you please cover how you value a business that may be growing very quickly, mm. but is still losing money? When it doesn't have any earnings, it can be tough to work it out. Any thoughts? Cheers, Peter. Now, mate, you are our mm. resident growth investor. You run Motley Full Extreme Opportunities mm-hmm. as well as Motley Full Pro. Um, and Extreme Opportunities is all about those uh, higher risk, higher return ideas, mm-hmm. the ones that maybe are making a little bit of money now or not making any money yet but have big futures. Mm-hmm. This is a huge topic. And maybe we'll go into it in a little more detail in another podcast, actually. But for now, just for Peter's answer, um, just so, so let's go break to it. How do you value a business right. that may be growing quickly but it's still losing money. Right. So, you know, the traditional way of doing things is, uh, you know, you do a discounted cash flow type of Mm -hmm. model, right? That becomes really hard for early stage high growth businesses. Well, there's nothing you can discount. You can't discount the cash flows, right? There's there's no cash. You know, everything is negative, right? Mm -hmm. So it looks negative. So here, I think you you need to, I think, start, you know, I start with what I called um, TAM, which is Damn, right. TAM sounds sounds fancy, Doesn't so I'll I'll make it non fancy by telling right, you what right. it is. Good which idea. is essentially total addressable market. Okay. 
So first, I want to understand how big the market is, right? Possibly. So this is a, a lame example, but for Woolies, how big is the grocery market in Australia? For exactly. Me? How big is the grocery market, and then how many players are there, and so on. That kind of decides, okay. you know, how much, how big of pie can you get? Right. right, right. Then if if it is a new, then the the interesting thing is that if if often new companies or new growth companies operate in what I would call they create new opportunities and new TAMs. Okay. Right. So if you can estimate how much that TAM is going to be. Then you can see, okay, well, this company is growing revenue at a certain pace. It's still losing money. Mm-hmm. So maybe Google, oh, sorry, Google, zero moving into cloud accounting. Right. Yes, to some degree, it's replacing desktop accounting. Right. But it's also creating a market amongst people who never would have gone to a bookkeeper or an accountant, but who could see themselves using the software for themselves. Exactly. So it's 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 not only entering a market that exists, but it's growing the size of that market, yeah. making it a larger total addressable market. Exactly. Okay. So if you if you see that, then you'd see that these will be companies which will grow top line maybe 30, 40 percent, mm-hmm. right? And and 30 percent, 30 percent. Co- uh, top line growth if mm-hmm. you compound that that's you're roughly looking at what about doubling every two and a half yeah two, two and, and a half years, years. Yeah. yeah yeah that is you know that can play up in your mind but you really if you think about that right, right. you know doubling every two and a half years in five years you have quadrupled mm-hmm. your revenue right then if then what you want to try to understand is you know does the cost of business scale linearly with growth if it okay. does not scale linearly with growth mm-hmm. which basically means that you know the cost at some point is going to become more or less fixed yep you can then realize that if this if this thing can keep growing at a very high rate, then eventually there's going to be a point, you know, maybe five years down the line, mm-hmm. when a lot of the money from the top line is going to just drop straight to the bottom line. Right. So if I if I'm making a building and my building margins are twenty percent, I can I can do thirty percent more buildings this year than last year. Yeah. But margins are going to stay the same because the same number of steel and concrete and workers and girders yep. and scaffolding and God knows what. Yeah. But if I'm selling say software. Mm-hmm. Or I am selling uh, a patent zero or something a, else. Zero is a great example. You made the software. Right. Software is already done. Yep. You just you're just giving the same software's access. You know, it's not even giving it. You're just giving it access because it's on the right, cloud right, right. to new people every year. They're paying you money for using it. So it cost me hundred bucks to build the software in the first place. Yeah. In year one, I sell fifty bucks worth and I lose money. Exactly. But if in year five, my hundred dollars worth of software, I can sell a thousand dollars worth of it. Yeah. My margins expand dramatically. Dramatically. Right? So now you, there's still some there's still some ongoing development stuff. So it's not exactly yeah. zero. But your point is for every new customer you're making the incremental cost is not that much right 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 so that, that's so if you have that sort of business where there's a lot of operating what we call operating leverage essentially possible yep, yep. then you know uh, then my sort of rule of thumb is I, I do some very simple things try to understand these like i look at you know like what we call enterprise value divided mm-hmm. by say the sales okay right and i look at you know what sort of multiples are they selling right, at? i have to stop you for a second enterprise value is the market cap mm-hmm. plus the debt yeah okay uh, and- uh, uh, no uh, market cap Plus debt minus cash. That's your net debt. You're yeah. right. Yes. Yeah. So yep. net debt. And so the reason for using that is if if it's one thing to say, well, uh, you could buy my house for a million bucks, pick yep. a number, and that that's that's what the that's what the price on the market might be worth. Yeah. But if I've got a half million dollar mortgage, yeah, the value of the cost of buying that house is actually more because you got to buy the, the house debt. plus the debt, debt right? plus the debt. Yeah. Okay. Right. And so in that case, if you just look at the house value alone and not the debt, you're kind of undervaluing the business. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And and so the you know it, the 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 most people look at 
price to earnings ratios yep. because that's, you know, companies have earnings, you look mm. at the price, you just basically say how many times of the earnings you are paying for the price. Right. Of course, the, the ratio you're paying, you know, the, the price to earnings depends on how fast the earnings are growth. Right. You'd pay right. more for a company that's growing earnings faster, you'd pay less for a company that's, you know, growing earnings slower. Right. Uh, you could sort of, you know, you could sort of think of the enterprise value divided by sales as sort of the rough approximation for a company that's, you know, growing top line quickly, okay. that potentially has a lot of operating leverage, doesn't have any earnings right now mm-hmm. you know you can again sort of sort of think in the same ballpark okay. right again gives you all of these things give you a rough idea it's not a very precise valuation and the reason it's not precise is there's a lot of risk and yeah. uncertainty right you don't have you're not making money which means if, if you're not making money today i mean uh, you know it might appear that you know i'm just using the word uncertainty for the heck of using it but <laughs> that's not not really the case because if for example i have a software company that's awesome but a very bad recession hits yep. and I'm still not making money, I actually can go out of business. Yeah, right. right. Whereas if you are not an awesome company, but you are a steady company with a you know, very mm-hmm. strong balance mm-hmm. sheet, mm-hmm. a recession can come and you might survive. Right. right? So that, that's the uncertainty that you have to you know, be aware of. And right? frankly, you know, to just go that uncertainty piece or the, the, the risk piece more, more directly. Yeah. If you're not making any money, yeah, it, the, the, you you simply are a riskier proposition, even without a recession. Exactly, another competitor might come along. You may yeah. lose your source of funding. You um, might not grow as fast. You know, something right. didn't work out. Maybe you overestimated the market opportunity. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's a range of outcomes are possible. But you right, know, right, you, right. typically these are sort of things we are looking at. EO trying to find high growth companies in innovative areas. If they're in an innovative area, you know, they're likely that there's not much competition. But you know, the flip side is mm-hmm. that they're trying to make. Create an opportunity. Right, That's right, very right. hard as well, right? Yeah. Creating a new opportunity. Yeah, it, it's a it's a. Fa- oh, okay, we'll, we'll do this in another podcast. It's a fascinating uh, problem. I, I've worked for companies that are both innovators, mm. and I'll include Motley Fool as one of those. I've worked for companies that are also the incumbents. Yeah, and and it is a fascinating, fascinating interaction because. Being in, being in, the innovator, being the disruptor is bloody hard, mm-hmm. and it's much much easier being the incumbent until you hit a tipping point. Yeah, and once you hit that tipping point, being the incumbent is just fantastically wonderful. So again, we use zero. Mm-hmm. Um, Reckon and MYOB are doing a reasonable job. Mm-hmm. MYOB is doing a pretty good job of kind of keeping up with zero and trying to fight the good fight. Mm-hmm. Um, for a long time, zero was the kind of upstart, the would be, the, the want to be, losing money, trying to do something differently, trying to make it work. The big guys had it all over them. They were making money. It was a good place to be. Once you kind of cross that tipping point, once once all of a sudden the incumbents on the back foot, then their margins are at risk. Their business, very business mm-hmm. model is at risk. They've got to try and retool. And reckon they had this problem of saying, well, geez, hang on, now we've got to try and combat cloud accounting. Mm. We're not ready for this. We, we, we mm. don't have a business that does this. Yeah. We don't have the size and scale. And frankly, the corporate culture do it, I think is fair to say. Yeah. Um, NYB somewhere in between. And probably, I want to say, it's despite the kind of concerns about it coming out of private equity ownership, I, I, I they probably benefit from being in, in PE ownership during mm-hmm. that time because it probably let them or made them do some things that maybe they may not have been able to do or prepared to do as a private a public company. Yeah. Where, you know, if you're if you're facing incumbent chance, you're going to have to drop the prices. Yeah. We're going to spend a truckload of R&D and profit's going to fall. And that's the right thing to do to, to, to fight the the, yeah. the kind of challenger. But the markets don't want to hear about that. Yeah. So as, as a public company CEO, you've got a really, really tricky yeah. line to try and tread, right? You can't come out and say, so we're going to make less money for the next five years. And trust me, this is the right thing for our mm. long term. Even if it is, the market doesn't want to hear yeah, it. Yeah, market, but market doesn't like making less money, right? And, and, and But you're right. You know, that's exactly the strategy. 
yeah. You, you so it's, it. it's yeah. I mean, and and for what it's worth, again, as the incumbent, you will have 50, 60, 70, 80 you know, would be challenges, right? Yeah. Who will all try and take you down? Yeah. And you could go broke trying to fight all of them individually because you just you 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 would be too distracted and get all your resources in all these kind of proxy fights uh, where you end up winning the battles but maybe even losing the war. Mm. On the flip side, if you don't fight any of them, the one that gets under the guard, the one that gets through, is going to cause Mary Hill. And I think it's a, it's a uh, you know, as it, it's very, very hard being, being a, a challenger because most yeah. of them will fail. But gee, if you get it right, the incumbents are in real trouble. Real trouble. And you can win big, right? I mean, that's yeah. sort of, you yeah. know, what we say in EO is that, you know, you, you're going to get maybe only four extreme or five opportunities extreme opportunities. Yep. Maybe only four or five are actually going to work out in terms of, you know, beating the market. Out of? Out of 10. Right. Right. So, you know, look, looking at 40, 50%. Yeah. And and you'd said, share advisor, you're trying to get to like six or seven, mm-hmm. right? And, and, but, you know, then how do you make money? You make money because yeah. the ones that work out, they work out well. The ones that don't work out, you know, they just bomb out. Yeah. And I will say, so Peter, great question, mate. Um, we'll probably do a little bit more on it, but I think that's that's the other thing is, you know, this is, the, the so you quite usually, how, how do you value a business? The answer is there's no easy way to do it. Mm-hmm. It requires a whole lot of skill and expertise and applied kind of experience. Mm-hmm. And, and Doc certainly got that. And that's why we love him running EO for us. Um, but but specifically, I think the, 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 the probably, the, the, bigger, the bigger answer is often we get it wrong. And, yep. and so, you know, our job is to try and put the odds in our favor and as you say, Doc, deliver big winners that are, that more than offset the the larger number of losers potentially. Yeah. Um, but that that's the answer, right? So the the methodology that you apply, and this is for every valuation methodology, for every style of investing. Yeah. Not they will they will never work one hundred percent. And so yeah. don't on a company by company. I, I rant about this a lot, as Doc will tell you, with our team, and certainly maybe I've done this podcast before. One of the biggest mistakes that intermediate investors make, beginner investors make a whole lot of mistakes. Mm. Intermediate investors, one of the biggest, biggest mistakes they make, even professional investors, mm. is focusing on the individual companies, not the portfolio as a whole. Yeah. You have to be prepared to take a portfolio approach because no method, no approach, no structure, no process works all the time. Yeah. And if you're, if you're scared of the losers, you're never, ever, ever going to pick the enough winners to make it work. Uh, I'll add one more thing. Another thing is chasing precision, yeah. right? I mean, if you chase precision with, uh, with you know, the only companies that you can get precision are the companies you don't need to value. Yeah, right, <laughs> right, right. They're exactly the slowest moving companies yeah, 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 that, yeah, you know, yeah. you, can, you can value Woolworths right. or, or now Coles. Or Transurban. Or, or, or Transurban Sydney or Sydney Airport. But, you know, for those, you probably even don't need to value because you could yeah. probably just look at, you know, uh, you know, price to earnings or, right, or right, price right. to free cash flow and you could get a very good handle on what yeah. the Valuation is because these are very stable companies, very stable, really company. understandable growth rates, right. all that kind of stuff. And, and you know, yeah, so the, the modeling is useful to give you a sense of you know a, a range of possibilities yep. and sort of yep. give you it, it helps you understand the business better, yep. but it does not necessarily give you a value that you can sort of anchor to. And you know, now, mm-hmm. now this is the price at which I want to buy, not yep. 10 cents more, not 20 cents more, not 10 percent more, but that is the value I want to buy, and, yeah. and that also tips a lot of people. All right, modly for money. Mate, we're going to go a little bit long uh, because we are we, we, we owe people an extra podcast. So I'll, I'll, I'll do one more no, mailbag and could, then we'll... We could talk a little bit And then more. we'll finish off. Yeah. So we've got a question from WD1 on Twitter. It's almost certainly uh, mis- mispronounced. <laughs> at DanWit4, D-A-N-W-H-I-T-4. Uh, so I'll call you Dan or maybe I want to call you WD, but I'm not even sure I'm pronouncing that right. So let's go with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says... 
good to hear you made it back okay so thank you we i appreciate the the, the kind words uh keep up the good work i love the podcast longer the better so that's given us a bit of extra mm. license to go a bit longer uh he said more segments on how different financial products work mm. it makes sense for, uh, it makes it easier for me to understand how they are slanted towards the person selling them now uh, this is a good question so what i'm, I'm going to start by asking another question back of our audience mm-hmm. uh, and, and of dan in particular by saying just give us a bit more information on that, if you would. Just let us know what sort of financial products you want us to talk about, how you want us to talk about them. Uh, I, I've got some thoughts, and I'll kick off with a couple. Uh, Doc, you may or may not want to add some, but um, we, we can do this over, over time. So, Dan and others, as you're listening to this, if you have some thoughts about what financial products you want us to talk about or maybe the style or structure, I think mm-hmm. I know what you're getting at, but let us know. Uh, as always, you can email us at info at fool.com.au or hit us up on Twitter. If you're not on Twitter, jump on. It's a really great source of news. At the Motley Fool AU is our Twitter handle. You can get me on at TMF Scott P, and you can get Doc on at Anirban Mahanti. Uh, so hit us up, let us know what you're thinking. Uh, give us a bit more clarity on that if you can. I will start though with a couple of things, and I think that the last thing you, you ask is how they are slanted towards the person selling them. What I love about the question, Dan, is you've you've absolutely nailed the biggest problem with financial services, and that is there is so much money being made by everyone except for the customer. Mm-hmm. There's a famous old book called Where Are the Customers' Yachts? Mm. Uh, about I, I thought it was a real story, an apocryphal story about the author being taken out of the harbour, some marina somewhere by a financial planner or advisor or fund manager saying, look at all my boats, look at all of, you know, I own that one or my owner owns that one. And the guy looks at him and says, well, where are the customers' yachts? Uh, and so that idea of kind of who's making all the money here is a really, really important question to ask, uh, to understand the answer to and to be able to get right. So Dan, I'll, I'll hit you with a couple. The first is, for, and again, this is these are general, right? So I will I will talk about a couple of professions, a couple of uh, roles, job roles, um, and just be mindful that I'm not saying everyone is terrible. Uh, I'm not saying everyone's great. I'm just saying, hey, these are some of the incentives, both conscious and subconscious, that affect all people in the financial services industry. Because even those who genuinely think they're on the right thing, you can't help but be impacted by subconscious bias, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the really important thing. It's subconscious by definition, so we all think we haven't got it. That that's exactly why it's so dangerous. Let me start with the first one is real estate agents. If you think about a real estate agent, you, you think you're employing a real estate agent, right? You think that a real estate agent's job is to represent you uh, to get the best possible price. Mm-hmm. Now, at some level, that makes sense because the higher the price if you're selling, the higher the commission the agent gets and the more money you get. So you get, great, that's alignment, that's fantastic. And that's kind of true, but let me let me kind of roll it back another way. Let's say that an agent is going to get a, t- a commission of, let me make up some numbers, $10,000 by selling my house. Mm-hmm. If he really, really, really pushes hard and gets the buyer to pay a bit more, he might get 10500 right? So the upside there, the house is going to sell for whatever it's going to sell for. Let's just let's pick some round numbers. Let's say it's 1%, million bucks. Let's just make those up for now, right? Mm-hmm. If, if the agent sells for a million bucks, he's going to get 10 grand. Um, good luck. You get what you, agents never get, take that little or take more than that. But let's just, let's just say that's the number. That's, that's great and that's fine. But, but where's the incentive for the agent to push to 1.1 versus trying to make me accept the offer? Mm-hmm. If, you, if you accept the offer now, he gets his 10 grand up front, the deal is done, he gets his money guaranteed, I walk away, the buyer walks away, he can move on to the next sale, everyone's happy. Mm-hmm. Why, if you're an agent, would you spend days or weeks or months trying to get an extra five or fifty grand out of that out of that out of that potential buyer for the sake of an extra five hundred bucks worth of commission? Now, would I take five hundred bucks more? Absolutely, I would. If I had to spend weeks and weeks doing it versus trying to convince the seller to actually sell for that lower price, you start to think about where those incentives lay, right? Mm-hmm. So, just just again, keep that in mind. Again, there's not every agent; it's probably not even most agents. But have a think about the subconscious element there. We think they want to maximize the commission per sale, and they do. But if they can make a sale now, 
then hey, that's burn the hands worth two in the bush, right? Take your mm. ten grand, bank it, move on to the next sale, get another ten grand. Rather than spending an extra two weeks trying to get five hundred bucks out of out of a potential buyer who may never stump up the cash, um, it's easier to, and, and more profitable to convince the seller to sell right now, and then you can move on and, and do something else. So that's that's one just to have a think about. Have you got an example for me, Doc? A different one? No, you go. Or right, I'll go with my second then. I, yep. I, do, I don't want to be out of favor with uh, <laughs> real estate agents and oh, brokers. Oh, here we go. And, here we go. You know, I like to be in everybody's good speak, books. Speak, yeah, I know. Mate. I'm never getting a job anywhere else. If, if <laughs> the mother uh, gives me the risk, I'm in all sorts of trouble. Um, the other one is mortgage brokers. Now, again, mortgage broker, what's their job? Their job is to find me the best interest rate, right? Mm. So they should be my best friend. Except, what does the mortgage broker get paid on? They get paid their commission mm. based on how much money I borrow. Mm-hmm. And again, think about that. So, yes, on one hand, I'm trying to get the best interest rate from a broker. And I think that's what I'm trying to do. And I think that's what the broker's trying to help me with. And again, for most of them, that's probably true. But if they can convince me to sell, like, you know what, that million dollar house, you know what, Scott, I reckon you can borrow 1.2 instead of a million dollars. And if you could, you could buy that house over there, an extra bedroom and a bit of extra backyard. Wouldn't that be a good idea? Wouldn't you like to do that? And I started to think, well, I've got my wife say, honey, we can afford to borrow a little bit more. You reckon we should? Now, if that broker can get me to buy an extra 20% more, guess what? His commission is 20% higher. Mm-hmm. And so again, you know, does the broker want to give me the best rate? Absolutely. Is the broker also though incentivized at least subconsciously to get me to borrow more? Absolutely the broker is. And in one, two or three years, when they come back and say, hey, how happy are you with your mortgage? Do you want to renegotiate your loan? They're doing that again because they get a nice fat upfront commission if you take out a new loan with a new bank. Mm-hmm. And so again, think about, the, you know, are the, are the brokers on your side they think they are. They, they, I'm sure they believe they are. But the incentives aren't necessarily aligned with how can I minimize Scott's total interest payments mm-hmm. and much more aligned with how can I maximize the amount of money Scott borrows and can I get refinance regularly enough that I get this nice fat upfront commission every time he refinances. Just refinance and never paid off. Well, this is the thing, right? So, but even if you do pay it off, it, that, that, that rotation is worth is, more of the, the yeah. agent than it's worth to me. So, mm-hmm. again, and then these, still, th- these incentives can be used in your favor. And so, again, I'm not trying to pillory entire, entire um, mm. uh, professions here. I'm just saying be mindful, again, that the brokers may themselves may not be aware of it. Um, you think you're doing the right thing. You think you help, you're helping people out. Mm. Um, it's very, very easy to convince yourself you're doing the right thing. Just be mindful of, of, of who gets paid by who, what their incentives are. Um, so, so Dan, that's a couple of couple of examples. As I said, Dan, anyone else listening, if you want to understand different products and specific products, please let us know so we can better answer those questions. But that's just a couple of examples of where, as you rightly say, uh, some financial products, some processes are slanted towards the people who are doing the deal. Maybe we'll do insurance next week. What do you reckon, Doc? Sure. All right. But here's something else. Let us know what what else? Now, do you want to offend any, any industries or professions, mate, or are you going to leave that to me? Oh, I think you do a good job of that. Oh, I think that's slightly offensive, but all right. <laughs> that, that's probably it. I've, I've made it through pneumonia-free from, uh, from our podcast. Oh, we'll call that a win. Hopefully, the sound was okay, fools. If it wasn't, my apologies. The gurus at Triple MLM sure do a wonderful job of making the sound studio quality. Mm-hmm. Uh, if not, then uh, we should be back in the studio next week as our plan, although it's kind of comfortable here. We might, we might see what we, we can do. We do next week, yeah. We may do. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Um, again, as always, please do hit us up on Twitter or email. Uh, as much as we laugh about it, we do love getting your feedback. Uh, as I say semi-regularly, this podcast is all about you fools. Uh, we love doing it. We love chatting amongst ourselves, but frankly, we can do that without microphones. Mm-hmm. Uh, we hope to deliver on our company promise, which is to educate, amuse, and enrich. And if we've done a little bit of that this week, then we're doing our job. If we're not, then tell us what we can do better and how we can how we can do it differently. What you want to hear about from us and how we can best help you take control of your financial futures. 
All right, that wraps us up. But before we go, and we haven't talked this for a couple of weeks, so do us a favor. Do subscribe to the Triple M Motley Fool Money podcast through iTunes or your favorite Android podcast app. And if you like what we're doing, please give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Maybe leave a review. Uh, that helps people find the podcast. And if you're enjoying it, I reckon there's a fair chance that maybe other people will as well. So that helps just bump us up the charts a little bit um, and gets a bit of foolish goodness into other people's inboxes as well. Speaking of which, you can get a dose of foolish insight straight to your email inbox by going to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. That's it for this week's Motley Fool Money. We'll be back this week, health notwithstanding, Mm. with another dose of foolish insight. Fool on. Fool on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.